Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Creditor's Corner Legal Talk, presented by Smith, Debnam, Naren, Drake, St. Singh and Myers, LLP. My name is Zachary Dunn and I'm an associate in the firm's Consumer Financial Services Litigation and Compliance Group. Before we begin, I do want to note that the information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information and content is intended for general informational purposes only. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. With that out of the way, we'll turn our attention to this week's topic, which is the proposed debt collection rule published by the CFPB. Our guest to discuss this important topic is Karen Enlow, who leads Smith Debnam's Consumer Financial Services Compliance Team. Hello, Karen. Hey, Zach. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. I'm uh, excited to talk about this important topic. Let's just jump right in. Um, The CFPB has published its proposed debt collection rule. What are the major points creditors and debt collectors should be focused on? Well, the debt collection rule was published on May 21st of this year, and the comment period just closed on Wednesday. And as of yesterday, there were over 9,800 comments that have been posted. So you can imagine it's getting a lot of play with everybody. And everybody, I think on both sides of the aisle in in different interest groups, are very excited about this or very unhappy, depending on their perspective. (laughs) Um, It's lengthy. It's about 500 pages if you read it on the CFPB site, um, which is is comprised of section-by-section analysis as well as the rule and the proposed comments. But here are some of the high points of it. It introduces for the first time this concept of a limited content message, uh, and it takes those messages out of the context of being a communication under the FDCPA, or the Federal Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Uh, another big thing in the in, in the rule that's is is these call frequency rules that are set out, which I call the seven 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 rule. And we'll talk about those I'm sure in a minute or two. Uh, the debt validation requirements are also very different than what you find in 15 U.S.C. section 1692G, and they are now propo- proposing a model form for debt validation, which has its, its good and bad points. I know we're going to cover that in a different podcast, so we won't talk about that too much today. Um, but it's something that listeners definitely need to be aware of. And finally, um, one of the, the major themes of the debt collection rule is introducing 21st century technology to debt collection. Boy, that's nice. It is and it's not. <laughs> and we can talk about some of the issues with it. Uh, it. It proposes to allow for electronic communications, which in and of themselves present a lot of problems. Yeah, a lot of new ground to cover there, I'm sure. Um, What's a limited content message? Uh, This is completely new, right? Oh, this is completely new. So what's happened is uh, back in 1996, there was this case called FODI. Came out of the Eastern District in New York, and in that case, the debt collector left this message, identifying himself as hi. This is an exact message. Hi, this is Joe calling from ABC Debt Collection Agency, and I'm calling for Joe Smith. Uh, I need to tell you that this communication is an attempt to collect a debt, and any information used will be obtained for that purpose. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, there's a couple of things. One is if that telephone message is heard by a third party, then there's an inadvertent and violation of the FDCPA by allowing a third party to um, be communicated with regarding the debt. The second thing with it is how the heck can you leave a message that complies with the FDCPA if you don't disclose that it's an attempt to collect a debt? You've got to give them any Miranda. So how do you give them any Miranda on a voicemail message and not risk the inadvertent disclosure of the debt to a third party? That's a conundrum. How does the new rule uh, deal with that? Well, it, it, it's kind of neat. 
it, it introduces content, this concept of a limited content message. And it says that limited content messages are not communications under the FTCPA because they are not a communication regarding the debt. It's, a, it's defined in 1006.2J. And what it allows a, and it's just as to telephone messages, interesting text messages, believe it or not, it allows a debt collector to leave a message that has a very limited content, hence the name limited content message. But that limited content message only can include the consumer's name, a request that the consumer reply to the message, and the name or names of one or more natural persons whom the consumer can contact to reply to the message, a telephone number that they can use to reply to the message, and um, that's about it. And, and, and then it gets some optional. You can say hi. You can give us a salutation. That's always <laughs> helpful. The date and time of the message, and a generic statement that the message relates to an account. So you can imagine that this is con- this is really, really new. Mm-hmm. So what this means is you can call and say, hi, this is Zach Dunn calling for Joe Smith. Um, I, I, Joe, can you please give me a call back at this number? And it's regarding an account. You can say that. Right. And so it, it gives uh, debt collectors the ability to leave a message without violating or potentially violating the FTCPA's It rules. does. Interestingly, it doesn't apply to emails. And if you look at some of the comments, that's something that the comments have suggested that it be expanded to um, include. Consumer groups obviously are very upset about this. But the purpose of this is after FODI, what happened is debt collectors got very sensitive about leaving messages and just quit leaving them at all. So what you have is all these hang-up calls happening, and you have this increase of telephone communication. So you get all these hang-up messages. So actually you had more calls going out. Right. Because they couldn't leave a message without violating the FDCPA one way or another. And it's called a Hobson's choice. And that's, you know, that's, but that's the phrase that the courts have used to describe it. There's over 40 cases that have dealt with this issue over the last, that, are, that, that have opinions on it. Right. And you can imagine if there's 40 that have opinions on it, how many hundreds were settled before they even got to court. Oh, I'm sure so, tons. Yeah, so this is a big deal, and this is new, and uh, and it's groundbreaking. It only applies to telephone messages. But the interesting thing about it, too, is you don't identify who the debt collector is. You won't say Smith Debnam. You would say it's Zach Dunn. Right. Just use the collector's name. Now, if I recall correctly, uh, call frequency was a point of emphasis in the Sabrifa. I believe that I'm pronouncing that correctly. You, yeah, you've got outline. that right. Um, is this proposal better or worse than Sabrifa? Oh, I think it's much better. And so, would, so just to back up a little bit, in 2016, um, the, 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 the CFPB is required to consult with small businesses on the impact of any proposed, any potential rules. Right. And the Sabrifa panel was meeting in August of 2016, and prior to that meeting with the CFPB, the CFPB proposed kind of an outline of what they thought the rule might look like at that time. And it and it was pretty onerous on call limitations, but what the uh, new rule does is in 1006.14, I believe, is it kind of sets out two things in it. One is this concept that the debt collector can call seven times or make temp- seven attempts to call seven times in a seven-day period. Per consumer, per debt. Um, One limited uh, exception to that is on student loan accounts. If you have several student loans that are tied to the same account number, that counts as a single account. So, for instance, if we have, uh, do you have two groups in the same law firm, one that's collecting on consumer credit card debt and one that's collecting on foreclosure debt, we both know that the clients are requiring that that information only be made available to people who have a reason to know. 
So for instance, the foreclosure folks may not know about the credit card debt. And if they're both making phone calls for whatever reason, the potential is that you have multiple calls coming in from the same law firm. Right. But under this rule, each of those debts could have seven calls to a person mm -hmm. in seven days. And so that, 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 that provision has gotten a lot of play from a lot of different interested parties. A lot of creditors and collection agencies are upset. They don't think that's high enough. They don't think there should be a limitation, that it should just follow the rule strictly. Uh, a lot of consumers think that that's way too many. Because, you know, if you have anyone who tends to have uh, debt tends to have more than one debt. And right. so if you're getting multiple calls times seven in seven days, you know, if you have a lot of debts that are delinquent, you could have you could have 21 calls in a seven-day period. Again, these are attempts to collect. These are not necessarily calls that are going through. We'll right. talk about that in a second. So the other piece of that 777, that was the first 77, there's a third 7. The third 7 is after you've actually communicated, then you cannot call again in seven, for seven days. The problem with this provision, and this provision has also received a lot of concerns, um, primarily coming from attorneys groups, is in the, in, the, in the course of litigation, if you can only make, once you have connected with them under the rule, what it provides is that there are certain exceptions to that seven that you can call again in that seven day period if it's made to, re to respond to requests from information from that person. Right. Or and just to be clear, this is under the NPRM, not under the Sabrifa panels. Yeah, this is, the, sorry, yeah, this yeah. is under 1006.14. Or you can do it, there's another exception if it's made with the prior consent given directly by the debt collector. Or you're not connected to the number. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you hung up the phone, it means you got that DDD thing going on. Um, so those are really great exceptions. Those all make sense. But what about the case where you get a call, hey, Joe Smith, 919-222-3333, click. Can you respond to that in that seven-day period? And arguably you can't because that's not an express request to call. It's not prior It's not prior consent being given directly to the debt collector. And it's not made to respond to a request for information. Yeah, there's some gray area there. There's some gray sure. area. Let me give you another gray area. Let's talk about this. You're in litigation. And it's a collection case. And you're, and you're an attorney collecting on a debt. And the consumer is pro se, does not have counsel. And you need to reach that consumer. Maybe you're getting ready to foreclose on their house, and you need to reach them. Maybe you're doing loss mitigation. Maybe there's a settlement that's out there that you all are trying to get settled, and they haven't given you the pride. They haven't given you express consent to call them, and you're not calling necessarily to request a piece of information or to respond to request for information. Right. How can you? Do, you may have an issue because Arguably, of that seven you can't days. Call them. You can't. <clears throat> and so that's one of the interesting things about this. One of the other interesting things about this provision is the majority of the proposed rule is being proposed under their authority under the FDCPA. There are four provisions under this rule that are being proposed under Dodd-Frank's as an unfair and uh, actor practice. This frequency provision is one of those. So where this oh. comes into play is for persons that are collecting on consumer services or consumer financial products are covered under Dodd-Frank. For that, this provision, it takes out the with intent provision of the FDCPA. If you look at, uh, at, at the FDCPA and this provision, this is, this is tracking 1692 D5. 
which has with intent to harass, oppress, or abuse. So taking out the with intent would almost be akin to strict liability. We already have strict liability under the FDCPA, right? Right. But this is taking this is taking it to even this is like super strict liability, and so the concern with that provision is is that now provide is that now potentially having some implications for first party creditors. So this is a this is a hot button topic. Um, now moving on to a slightly different topic, let's talk about a little bit about debt validation. I know that we're going to cover it in another podcast in depth, but just generally, uh, what will the model form accomplish? Well, the model form is going to provide a safe harbor. Um, I mean, that's the intent of it, okay, is to provide a safe harbor. But what it really does is it's really going do? to, it really is going to create a whole lot of frivolous disputes. Perfect. Uh, yeah, it's great. I, I love it so much. Um, and we'll talk about this. I, I know that Jerry and I are going to talk about this on another podcast, but part of the problem with this is you have to check the box form. So if you have a dispute, you check the box. I dispute this debt. I do not owe this debt without providing any sort of meaningful information. And, and it's in a box that's like an inch and a half by an inch. So there's no real room to leave any There really is. And they say you can write on the back, and that's very helpful. But who's going to if they're not required to? And so the concern from industry is this is going to generate a whole lot of frivolous disputes. Uh, so in short, you don't think that it accomplishes the goal that it was set out to uh, to accomplish. You know, I think it's great to have one. I think, you know, there's so many letter cases that are coming out right now. I think it's good that there is going to be a safe harbor. The question is getting that form right. And, and the form as it is now isn't right. The form suggests um, things that are requires things that are not set out in 1692G, which is the validation section right. of the FTCPA. So it's another expansion. Again, a lot of this is under Dodd Frank as well. And so it's another expansion of of, of what the FTCPA says versus what the the CFPB is proposing. Great. Um, Electronic communications were a point of emphasis uh, for the debt collection rules. Can you talk a little bit about that? I can. I don't know that I want to, but I will. Please do. Well, so there's really kind of two things that happens, and you got to kind of look at it from time periods. If you look at the time period from when the initial communication goes out under 1692G, where you give you the validation notice, and then the dispute and the response to the dispute, you're required to go under the E-Sign Act. And the E-Sign Act requires the, a lot of disclosures. They requires a lot of information. Um, it requires you get that back from the consumer before you, you send these out. Here's the problem. If you have to send out your debt validation within five days of your initial communication with the consumer, how the heck are you going to implement that under the E-Sign Act? It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Now that you could, the creditor, the creditor can get it for you in advance. But talking to creditor clients of ours and others that are that are first party, they're saying that they're that they'd have to be changing a lot of their e-sign procedures in order to do this because you're going to have to have you're going to have to make sure that you're checking all the boxes on the technology end. So this provision is uh, not generating a lot of excitement, or wow, that's going to really help us out from the from the credit industry. Other thing that becomes interesting is there, so when we get past that period of time, and we're talking about in the in the in the course of the collections, when we get over there, and we're looking at, then we're under ten oh six point six. 
And what it, what it does with that is it allows the consumer to consent to certain communications um, to be made electronically. And that provision's a lot better. Um, it provides basically uh, reasonable procedures for email and text messages. So basically what it's laying out for you is if you have these procedures in place and you screw up, then it's a bona fide error. So it's kind of setting this out. And it basically allows, in general terms, uh, that if the consumer recently used an email address or, in the case of a text message, a telephone number to communicate with the debt collector, then they can respond to it unless they did it for purposes of opting out. You have to get this opt-out provision now right. and everything you send. Um, and so, you know, and there's some other exceptions with it, but that's kind of the whole genesis of it. You've got to be really careful with work email addresses. But it does even contemplate that with a work email address, if the consumer has contacted the, the debt collector through it, that they can, they can respond to it, which is kind of interesting. Um, so it's looking really kind of at it as a course of dealing. That makes a lot of sense to me. Where I get, where I have issues when we get in these electronic communications and we're talking about it is if the consumer sends an email to someone and that person's out of the office, they, they send a cease and desist and say, you know, quit contacting me. You got to quit like that, right? Immediately. Right, yep. immediately. And so when you're dealing with electronic communications and instant gratification, you're going to have to make a lot of changes to your policies and procedures and operating um, operational guidelines in order to be able to comply with that. So if collector A is on vacation and they get they get an email from the consumer saying, hey, I want you guys to cease and desist contacting me. Well, they're on vacation. Well, maybe collector B is taking up that file. That email hasn't been opened from collector A yet, right? Yeah, collector and, A is on vacation. Yeah, and so collector B makes a call. Is that, is that a violation of the cease and desist? Uh, it is. It is by the letter of the law or by and the letter the, of the... And, and the proposed rules and the section-by-section -section analysis suggests that that once that cease and desist is 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 deemed received, when it's sent, if Not it's sent electronically, yeah. yeah. And so that's where we're going to have a lot of issues coming up. So, you know, you haven't asked, but I'll tell you where I think we're headed because <laughs> I'm sure you really want to know. Is as we look at this and moving forward, comments have just closed. They've got six months to go through them. I would think that a lot is going to be really interesting because we're coming up to what an election year, right? Right. So we have a lot of changes that happen. So chances are this rule is 95% in its final form and it's going to go through. Just what could happen is if we get a change in administration and we change from a Republican administration to a Democratic administration, we may get some pushback. Um, there's a case pending in front of the U.S. Supreme Court that is, is dealing with the constitutionality again of the CFPB. Um, so there's a lot of things that are in play. There's a lot of things that are in flux. My gut feeling is we're going to get a proposed uh, debt. We're going to get a final debt collection rule because everyone wants it. Um, technology has changed so much since the FDCPA was enacted in 1977. Just really needs to be updated for a modern time. Yeah, and that's it does. In part, what these rules are trying to get at. Yeah, but what really would have been more effective is a modernization act for the FDCPA, and that's not what we got. <laughs> what we got was was I think some things that are well-intended um, but aren't necessarily getting it done. Well, well, I didn't ask you about that, but a question I think I will start asking is, is there anything that you would like to say on this subject that I haven't asked you about? 
Is there anything that we haven't covered? There's so much we haven't covered, but to be honest and to be fair about it, it takes about 90 minutes to do it, and um, I don't think we have that much time today. So we'll come back and talk about it another time. How's that? We'll, we'll come back and talk about meaningful involvement sometime. Well, that sounds great. I think that's fodder for another podcast. Sounds great. Thanks sounds for having great. me. Thank you. Thank you for uh, being a part of the podcast, and thank you for listening to uh, Creditor's Corner Legal Talk, presented by Smith, Debnam, Naren, Drake, Saint Singh, and Myers. Thank you.